Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. just me in my mind. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> A little static in here. Good. Um, <clears throat> so I'll just share some reflections, as I said, um, first about my, my time away and then uh, this topic that's been coming up. Um, and I, <clears throat> I've been... Uh, kind of flat for the last uh, week since I've been back, so I I didn't have a I couldn't jump into a sutta or a deep um, <clears throat> preparation for a talk. So I just kind of said, well, this is what's coming out. So I'll talk a little, and then if there's time, we can just have a <clears throat> uh, discussion. So, and I realized that. Um, some of you might not be aware um, when Jim said uh, that I was in paradise and coming back to another paradise that before I left I, I shared with people where I going I was going but not everybody was here obviously so um, I was in Bali for two and a half weeks with um, with my wife Jane we were celebrating our thirtieth anniversary and um, We'd been talking about going to Bali for 30 years. Uh, and finally, and we saved up our frequent flyer miles and did it. Uh, I know a couple of people have been to Bali. Who, anyone who's been to Bali here? Okay, so maybe you'll just kind of get, uh, be with me on this. Um, it's amazing. It's really amazing. I, I, I hesitate to, to say too much um, lest the mudita, the sympathetic joy, turns to envy. Um, you know, and here, here you, know, you hear a, a Donna talk, oh, please support James, and he just went to Bali. Um, but we did save up. Um, we're not going anytime soon <laughs> either. <laughs> but, uh, but because I did share w- with you, uh, with the, the group here before I left that I was going, um, uh, and it's really with me, uh, I, I just want to share a little bit about my experience because I was very moved. Um, I, I shared this yesterday in the uh, Awakening Joy class um, because I left I wasn't at that class last time the only time we could have the frequent flyer miles I had had to leave and not be at my own awakening joy class but uh, Philip Moffat 
stood in for me, so I, I shared with them a bit last night too. Um, well, for me, that has always been like the ultimate exotic place, right? And I, even though it's not, it wasn't written for that place, my mind always would go to South Pacific and, you know, Bali High, an enchanted island. Um, and it, uh, it's, it is extraordinary. It's beautiful. Um, it's the people who've been there uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago who go there now, who've been there now say, oh, it's been you know, overrun with tourism and stuff, and certain pockets have that. There's a, there's a few centers, uh, ta- um, city centers, that tourists are, you know, the nightclub scene in Kuta, uh, where the bomb was in 2002, and, um, and some um, s- uh, city centers, uh, there's, you know, lots of cars and pollution and, you want to get out of, of that area. But outside of that, um, it's beautiful. There's jungle and mountain and, and coast, and, uh, and, and we moved around, so we saw all of it. It's just really, you know, just um, gorgeous. Um, and there's incredible... The culture is so rich with the arts from the stone carvers and the wood carvers and the mask makers and the uh, down to the painting and the textiles, the ikat, the weaving and the metalwork and the music and the dance. The arts are so embedded in their culture. Um, our guide who took us around this really high beautiful guy and this driver, um, uh, this team that we had, um, Made and uh, Wayan, was this uh, a a mask, uh, a a wood wood carver, and we went to, we visited his home. We were the first tourists that he ever had in his home because we were going by his village the day before, and we said, well, can we stop and see your home? And if then we thought, oh, did we do something wrong because it was kind of a, a, maybe a, an impetuous um, uh, request. But he was so happy and we met his family and we, we saw the, the, car, the carvings that he do, did on his door. Everybody is, it seems like there's an, they're an artist there. Um, and everybody also is... Uh, either called Wayan or Made, <laughs> because Wayan means firstborn, and Made means secondborn, and Koman means thirdborn, and Kudut means fourthborn, and then if you're a fifth in the family, you go back to Wayan. <laughs> but then they have their second name. Um, but um, um, So anyway, the arts so so rich and the, the culture is so rich it's so deeply spiritual it's the one there are 18,000 islands in Indonesia this is the one um, island that's um, that is Hindu instead of Muslim 
and originally it was it was Buddhist and then Hindu um, a, a form of Hinduism Balinese Hinduism uh, became the the religion and their life centers around their religion a couple of facts that um, the women of the house who are living at the house spend two hours a day in offerings. That's their morning sadhana, placing offerings in different parts of the house, the, the temple area, the, the east and the north, and etc., like that. One half... <clears throat> Half of the income goes to offerings, family. And then they eat the offerings as part of their meals. But half of your income goes to your spiritual life in the form of offerings. There's cremation ceremonies like, you know, every day. And the whole community comes, comes together for these cremation ceremonies. It's, it's an incredible community-oriented um, culture. <clears throat> um, hmm. One, we were, we were passing by one village and Made, our, our driver, uh, uh, our guide told the driver, wait, 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 we have to stop. There's something going on here. And it was a village where um, they were renovating. He saw they, that there were so many people working on this uh, in the temple. And it turns out that they were renovating this temple. And it's one of, I think, three temples that are going through this kind of re- renovation where um, uh, they'd been working on it for six months, and we spoke to the, 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 the heads, the second in command of the um, orchestrating the, uh, the renovation, um, with these incredibly intricate, I've, ta- I've taken a bunch of pictures, incredibly intricate carvings that are like you know three stories high, not just in the front, but on the side and the back and everywhere, this fine detail. And they sent, um, the village sent a group of men, and it is mostly men doing the, uh, the carvings and all, uh, to train for three years to the stone carving capital. And they, they came back and were... They've been working on it for six months, the whole village, and for two months, the, uh, the fine details when we had gotten there. And the head of the, um, the second in command of the um, coordination said that 1,800 villagers had been working on this project. 1,800 from this town called Demuli, um, which means, according to our our guide, uh, don't go. <laughs> Stay here. <laughs> uh, and that, that he, this guy, the, the, um, uh, the coordinator talked about the harmony that the, uh, the community brought, that that was the spirit that they, they could bring to their 
the renovation. Um, besides, though, the beauty and the art and the, the culture and the, 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 the spirituality, which clearly has so much devotion, um, the most amazing thing, as I would imagine others who've been there uh, can attest, are the people. I see some nods, and I'm I'm actually starting to um, well up a bit as I as I reflect on it. There's such a spirit of um, gratitude and love of life, and how good that we are all here alive. Now, I might be idealizing this, and there are certainly, there's the hawkers in the, in the, the downtown areas, and, and there, there has been a real commercialization you know, in some pockets, but the people that we met were just so moving in their authenticity, their, their genuine um, open-heartedness, and I thought, well, sure, if you grow up in paradise, you know, of course, you're going you're gonna to be that much more loving. But then I started to read about the history of Bali. And the thing, what I really wanted to share, what, what has struck me so, is that this island of about three million people has known incredible suffering. Amazing suffering. I took down a few facts from, what is it? In the last couple of centuries, seven smallpox epidemics, five cholera epidemics, four rat plagues, widespread dysentery outbreaks. That's just on the health side. Civil war, huge earthquake uh, in 1917 that... um, uh, that demolished a lot of uh, the towns. Another earthquake in uh, in uh, in the last decade as well. Uh, in 1963, a volcanic eruption that killed thousands and and um, demolished um, whole villages, out of which then sprang new life. Um, out of the lava, which becomes very fertile after after a while, the fertile soil. Um, there have been invasions, Muslim invasions, Dutch invasions, English, Japanese. Um, in 1965, um, there uh, there was you know, tremendous uh, communist, anti-communist um, political uh, um, fighting. And 500,000 Indonesians were killed, and 100,000 of them were uh, in Bali. 100,000 in this island of 3 million. Uh, and then there's, of course, the terrorist bombings in uh, 2002, where 200 were killed, and that re- just seemed to kill tourism for a while. And then another terrorist bombings in 2005, but last year or two years ago, there were like two million plus people that, that came to. Um, so tourism is is back. 
But when I read about all of that, the, the thing that just, and the Dharma point here, the, the thing that just really, um, mm, amazes me, I guess, is how that much suffering doesn't turn to bitterness and instead is processed and comes out as love. And that so is imbued in the culture that is so... uh, of course, the, the devotional aspect of giving thanks to, uh, to God and to the gods um, is, I think, at the heart of it. But um, I just want to share that it's possible, it's not just a good idea that when you go through your own suffering or sorrow that somehow it can be transmuted as um, a softening of the heart and compassion and love. And this is the alchemy of Buddha Dharma from opening to the first noble truth, there is suffering in, in life, to embracing it, accepting it, and somehow coming out um, as a compassionate, wise heart. <clears throat> And I think devotion is really a key. And they have a very um, big picture about death that um, they're, they're so focused on releasing the spirit for the next incarnation that, um, that this is, they, they see it all as the cycle of life and, um, and are um, seeing the bigger picture of of many lifetimes and incarnations, which certainly can help in, in holding all the, the pain and the sorrow in the world. Uh, but as I said, I was so, so moved by the beauty of the people and the people's hearts uh, that they, it's still with me and I just had to share a little bit about that. <clears throat> um, actually, before... Before I move on, maybe if there's uh, anyone who's been to Bali that has anything to add other than saying, yeah, I, I agree, we can uh, uh, see. Here's, so here, if you could just pass it behind you. There, yeah. Um, well, I was there 20 years ago, and I've traveled um, many, many places but I really felt that the Balinese people were the kindest, gentlest, most beautiful people you know I had ever met anywhere. So I was very moved by the people too. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to agree with that. And then I was inspired to travel to other parts of Indonesia. So I went to Sumatra mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. The people are totally different, mm-hmm. you know? There's no similarity at all, mm-hmm. and they're um, they had been, I guess, headhunters and cannibals, and converted <laughs> to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So those were the people I was with, and I just saw that personality in them, and um, it couldn't have been any more different than the Balinese mm-hmm. people. And um, 
I spent a month in Bali, and I spent all the time going from temple festival to temple festival. Mm-hmm. That's how I spent my time. And I was there the same time years you were, and there's just temple festivals <laughs> constantly. That's what oh, they're doing. That's what they do. Every yeah. time I arrived in a town, it was like, we're having a temple festival. Say, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, just what great timing. <laughs> they were just everywhere. Um, and it's all about the offerings, making these gorgeous, huge offerings. Yeah. So, I'm happy after 30 years you got to go. Mm-hmm. Next, go to India. Uh, I've been to India been many to, times. Oh, yes, yeah, you've yes, been to India. Yes, India many times. But, uh, and the, only, the one other country that uh, was similar is, um, here, you can just uh, put it down. And just, you can close it. That's it. Hang on to it just in case. Um, the one other country that struck me um, in my travels like this was when I went to Burma. Um, and that was in 77. And uh, again, for a people that, has, that have gone through tremendous oppression, um, there was something very special about that spirit that has it's always been my bar for graciousness and... Um, um, and kindness, and this this was like that, except it was also paradise at the same time. So, okay, so what I, the other theme that I've been playing around with lately, um, I I have participated in a series uh, that you can listen to online uh, that I highly recommend called Teaching What We Need to Learn. Anybody um, uh, tune into it? You can just Google it, Teaching What We Need to Learn. Um, and it is um, this fellow, Raphael Kushner, um, interviewed... Many respected teachers, Ramdas, and I'll just name a few of them, Ramdas, Tara, Brock, Suryadas, Sam Keen, Dan Siegel, Reggie Ray, Harville Hendricks, David Steindl Rust, uh, Tammy Simon, and many, many others like this. And he asked all the um, people he interviewed to talk about their shadow. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> to talk about mm, not just, oh, what it was like 20 or 30 years ago when you were first starting out and ran into a few problems and then became, you know, you saw the light. But what about now? What about now in, in your life? where the rubber meets the road, where perhaps you've done a lot of practice and uh, have understood some things and opened your heart a bit and maybe um, gotten some clarity and maybe even inspire others. But what do you still struggle with? What do you um, still look for to integrate within your own understanding. Um, And so 
each of and and Raphael is a very skilled interviewer, very warm, very kind, and uh, and also very authentic. And so he's just going right with you there. <clears throat> and uh, I had gotten an email from somebody who said that they appreciated the interview that I did, and I had completely forgotten about the series. And I said, "Oh, I, gee, uh, well, let me hear." Uh, what I said, right? And uh, and then I saw this whole lineup, and I've been listening to a, a number of teachers, um, and people who I really respect and uh, and admire, uh, talking about their stuff. In in uh, there's a an expression in in Tibetan teachings. It's it's good to live. Um, Three mountains and valleys separated from your guru, from your teacher. You know, you don't want to live right there in the kitchen with them as they are blowing their cool or whatever. That you know, as it's often said, you know, you want some distance so you can keep that ideal. Um, <clears throat> but. In the end, that that doesn't serve. It might for a while because you can be maybe inspired by your projections of who who you think one becomes when they are free. But sooner or later, you're going to be dealing with the fact that uh, if you think that they've got it all together there's always the comparison with, well, not there this lifetime, you know, maybe ten lifetimes from now. Um, and uh, it's good to see through the idealization, um, especially if the, 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 the person that you might be projecting on is willing to be transparent then it's it's much better that they show themselves than you see through the through the facade uh, and i've always been inspired myself by uh, the teachers who have been uh, transparent and been just themselves, particularly my two main teachers, as i've often mentioned here uh, when I was first getting into practice and and still consider my Two benefactors, uh, being Ramdas and Joseph Goldstein, and Ramdas, who you know wrote "Be Here Now," changed a generation, changed my life when I read that book. Uh, <clears throat> would have the challenge of people thinking that after they read "Be Here Now," that pearls rolled off of his tongue and out of his heart all the time and then they'd see him and they'd see he could be a curmudgeon guy <laughs> by his own admission and that's but that's the beauty of of and it always inspired me that he would just be so real in his humanness and joseph who you know has so many stories about his his foibles and you know somewhat self-deprecating, but uh, but always with 
some real humor and just seeing, yeah, look at what this mind does. Uh, those were my two models for just being yourself because um, I think if somebody is just themselves and still can inspire, then it allows the person on the receiving end to see, oh, well, maybe I can just be myself too. And that's the real gift, not having some kind of idealized vision of what I'm supposed to look like when I've got it all together. Although the projection can still happen. I I remember Sharon Salzberg saying, uh, talking about how trying to pierce people's projections and, and saying, you know, oh, I... You know, I have this bad habit and that bad habit and, 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 and somebody saying, oh, you're so humble too. You know? <laughs> that the projections will, will happen no matter what. But. Mm. And there's a, um, uh, I'll, I'll never forget um, being clued into this, the, the different models of therapists uh, the the two classical approaches are one th- one where the therapist is the competent model or super competent model with very good boundaries and not disclosing or revealing at all um, and that has a value just okay it's not about my stuff you know well tell me about your your stuff. And then there's the other model called the learning to cope model where the therapist discloses enough to share their own humanness um, and is not trying to be any kind of you know, perfect, super competent, uh, enlightened being. And that um, time and again it's been shown that the learning to cope model is really much more effective. Again, because the the person who's working with them are um, is is seeing oh they can just be themselves as well. That there's this is not about being so perfect that it would be impossible to attain, but it's about opening and holding all of your humanness with kindness and compassion and wisdom. The thing about um, uh, Ramdas, when he he would talk about how people would project on him and, and and I spent time with him, I've gotten to know him, um, is that um, it's like when he'd be, when he, the words of be here now came through, it's like for a while he could get out of the way and that he's done enough work so that it's available at times for him to not be in the way and there's a purity and a true wisdom, an authentic wisdom that could come through. 
But that doesn't mean that you're there all the time. But what, the way I see it when somebody has done a fair amount of work and has a real humility, which is, I think, a very important piece, so it's not my wisdom, but just kind of not getting in the way so the wisdom can, can come through, that that's it. It's, the wisdom doesn't belong to anyone. It's just that there's enough work so that at times our wisdom can shine through. And when I say our, I'm talking about all of us. So when you see the goodness come through and you say, you know, oh, wow, I think, um, I think I'm really learning something here or I think I'm really learning to open up my heart and, you know, maybe I've got this thing figured out. That's where the problem comes in thinking, well, now that I've seen such the, the divine can come through me, the contrast when it doesn't can be so disorienting and humbling. Like, oh, gee, I was so wise last week when I wasn't freaking out, you know, like I am now. What happened to it? Well, nothing happened to it. It's still there. You just have forgotten and your mind has contracted and so it's not, it's not moving through as, um, as unobstructedly. But all it means is that the more you can see the confusion and hold that with, with tenderness, with kindness, without taking ownership of that either, that in that motion, in that movement, there is once again the access to something beyond you. Somebody, if I could, somebody wrote me something, uh, a friend wrote me something this week. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. Uh, somebody who um, uh, I, I support in practice uh, said, I've been practicing metta in a free-flowing way and have been feeling a fair amount of love lately, but also a lot of tumultuous emotion has been coming through. Anger at other people's suffering, my mother's past suffering, it feels like a new, deeper level of non-acceptance is being exposed. And as I wrote back to her, um, the fact that you're getting in touch with other strong feelings isn't surprising. If your heart is more open, it's natural to access the other stuff. Just remember to hold it all with love. No judgment, no ownership, just feelings moving through you. And they can all be acknowledged, honored, and respected as part of being human without identifying with them. So that, that's the secret, not to get rid of anything, but to um, open to it all and say, yeah, this is the whole package and there's a loving presence that can open to it all, that can hold it all, that doesn't take it personally. And that loving presence in that way gets a chance to shine through 
in a, in a way that not only opens your heart but touches others. <clears throat> so the one thing, uh, one more thing that I'll, I'll share with you before we open it up. You know, the first time I ever met Ram Das, which uh, was in 1974, after I'd been carrying around Be Here Now like a Bible for about three years. And I was waiting outside the, the door. He was seeing somebody else for an interview. And um, my mind played this very strange and what I've seen now not uncommon uh, trick in that the thought of going into my, really, my... not quite idle, but my um, deep inspiration, I had this strange image of attacking him. And I'm somebody that doesn't like to go near any kind of you know, bloody movie or anything like that, but it was a very gory scene. I couldn't believe it, right? And I went in to see him and in those, in those days, his first question, this is the first time I ever met him, right? his first question was, tell me something that you hope I would never know about what's, go- <laughs> about what's going on in your mind. <laughs> this is true. I remember it like yesterday, right? What is the, the biggest secret that, you'd, that you're, you could be hiding from me that you would not want me to know? That was his opening gambit, right? Because he was just going for authenticity and transparency. Okay, if we can see this, then we can get it out on the table and then just be here. Okay. Well, what could I say? You know, I... I said, well, I was just having the most disgusting, horrible images, you know, know, I share with him. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, it wasn't the end of our relationship. We we ended up getting to know each other pretty well. But um, with that in mind... This will not, we would not, we're not going to do a dyad or anything like that. You know, but I'd just like you to go inside for a moment in your own mind. And just as an exercise in not taking ownership of all the crazy things that go through your mind, What would you not want others to know about you? And as you get in touch with it, See if you can 
not take ownership. That is, not blame yourself for whatever the thought or the behavior or the perspective, the belief, the pettiness or whatever. Just seeing it all as a product of causes and conditions. That's the secret. We're all just products of our conditioning. And sometimes our fear brings up the very thing that we are most resistant to. So what would it be like? Suppose you were interviewed on a Teaching What We Need to Learn series and somebody said, let's hear your shadow for the benefit of all. See if you can hold it for just a few moments with a great tender heart. The Kuan Yin right inside of you along with the confused one that says, it's okay. It's just part of being human. That's your particular stuff, curriculum. Because the extent that you're able to hold it that way will be the extent of real freedom and connection and compassionate understanding. As Robert Bly says, every part of us that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us. Not that you love your pettiness or your fear or your addiction or your obsession or whatever, but you can hold it with a a kind heart. Just being human. Okay, and then when you like, you can open your eyes. So we have a few minutes um, if there's anything that came up from that you'd like to share or bring up. And it's not my my imagination. There is a little bit of buzzing. Anything share. Yeah, Jenny. I was just going to say, I, I loved, um, I love that you share that story about Ram Das because 
when I look at you, it's it is easy, I, you know, like to project on onto you and think, oh, he's just this great teacher, and and then to hear that story, and it's so easy to still feel so much affection for you, and and then it was like, well, why can't I do that for myself, you know? And so it was this um, it was this really great moment of kind of twisting it around and making me realize, like, well, why why do I associate those crazy weird thoughts or things that are so you know that I'm embarrassed about? Why do I have to identify with it? So it was kind of nice to it was great you told that story and a good reminder of like, oh, I kind of help myself that same way. It's mm-hmm. nice. Great, just turn it around right to yourself. It's just the mind. You know, you, you might think, as I, I often say in the, in the, in the beginning class, uh, when you can move from, oh, look at my mind, to, oh, look at how the mind works. Look at how the mind, not my mind, but you're exploring this amazing, blessed, challenging machinery that we have here that can create and does create anything, heaven and hell in a moment. And it's all just coming through without any rhyme or reason, you know, certainly conditioning and habits. But as I often say, what a relief to know that your mind is completely out of your control. Because then you don't have to blame yourself for whatever comes through. And then it's just, wow, look at how the mind works. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, right behind you. And here. I like what you just said about perspective. um, And that definitely is, it helps to um, accept parts of yourself, but I, I get really kind of curious about the line between acceptance and then also taking responsibility for certain things that really should be looked at that are hurtful, you know, um, not necessarily to yourself, but outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that gets very confusing for mm-hmm. me. And that's something that's been coming up a lot, um, you know, because I think that I could, I can always turn the perspective and be either over uh, compensating on myself or to the outside party that is affected by the, ha- by the behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, first of all, the, the line between what comes through your mind and what gets manifested as words and actions is a very important one. Because the, the karmic impact of these random thoughts coming through is is not as great unless you're dwelling on, oh, what a rotten person I am for having these thoughts, then there's a deep impact. But when it's put into words or actions that cause suffering, the, the karmic impact is much, much deeper. So that's one place to... Um, to have some kind of protection in, in, in uh, acting with as much integrity and a spirit of harmlessness as possible. And then, even with the conditioning, yeah, if you can see how, see the freedom, it's just the mind doing its thing, that's, that's one level. On another, though, 
to also see that you can cultivate that the, the, the love, the loving presence or the kindness that can hold it is really developing the opposite of those contracted, unskillful states. So just in the noticing with kindness and the intention to really go for uh, true well-being, um, you're changing the, the neural pathways and the, and the, uh, in the brain and in the heart. So, yeah, you, you want to both be accepting right where you are and also have an inspiring vision of what will really bring about the, the most fulfilling way to be in the world. So they go together. I was uh, driving for two and a half days to get here from Montana mm. today. When I and sometimes when I'm transitioning like that, I feel a lot of turbulence. And it seemed like everywhere I went today, everything irritated me, and I hated people. And I, but I didn't like that. That 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 I couldn't seem to find my my sweet spot. But um, so I was just thinking that sometimes I know how much I love people by how much I hate them. You know, I just. Mm. And then, and then finally, just it all kind of settles. It's like the passing storm is the passing storm, you know. Um, and then one thing you were saying earlier about sharing the wisdom and not and not becoming possessive of that, or you know, the ego. And so sometimes I think if I just want to be of service to other people and be a channel that this information could come through me, and maybe somebody else could benefit from it. So I wonder if that's just still, like, how do you tell the difference between your ego and, or is that just our basic goodness? Don't we all just want to be a contribution to somebody else? You know, just thinking that when you said that. Sure. That, that <clears throat> that's, that's the natural expression. When you're not in the way, and there's uh, and the heart is open, then not only wisdom comes through, but the 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 movement of wanting to um, relieve suffering and connect and make a contribution, and uh, the generous heart is naturally expressed, and so not even to take credit so much for that generosity, you know, oh, look how generous I am, but rather to feel how good it feels. As soon as you take ownership of it, there's a contraction. And something, and it becomes tainted. Of course, we're not going to be 100% pure. But if you stay connected with the the real purity of intention, um, then that's where the real... That's where the real joy is. Um, that's the paradox. The more we, we want credit for it, really we cut ourselves off from, from the joy. But to just celebrate, oh, how, you know, how beautiful th- this heart is that wants to share or, or loves to see others happy or make a contribution, then you can be in on the, on the delight at the same time. Okay, last 
very last one right over here and then is there time it's not crucial is it short I don't know (laughs) (laughs) well okay Um, you can say no when you hear it or maybe some maybe we could talk later short thing will come um Hearing you talk about mm, being able to meet what arises in the mind, the, the ghosts or shadows or flickerings of thoughts with equanimity um, and, and the intention to, to cultivate that sort of awareness mm-hmm. and, and, and gentleness with the sort of kaleidoscopic unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, made me wonder, this might even put you on the spot, <laughs> right. but as, as someone who's practiced for a long time, I'm, I'm wondering to, to what extent do you feel that you're actually driving um, like uh, in, in terms of living in Berkeley or being a teacher or having a family or a home or are those things that just unfolded too or did you do them? Hmm. I'm living out the movie of James and I'm contributing to it. I have my input, I have my vision, I have my, my um, you know, inspiring ideals uh, but I'm I'm also just listening to how my life is unfolding and participating I'm, I'm a, a participant but I'm not writing the script you know so that's that's how I take it I I'm just uh, I'm amazed at the unfolding and show up as best I can yeah okay okay so it's a little over time we'll just take a very short loving kindness just to feel the blessing of community silence so nice to be quiet and like-minded friendship and wish well for yourself for everyone here and share it with all beings everywhere may all be free of confusion and fear or hold their fear and confusion with kind presence and share their love well. May all beings awaken to their true nature and may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Have a great week and remember to stack up the chairs just so. (laughs) See you next week.